0: Hey guys, welcome to Rankin Vile, the podcast where we are ranking every single horror movie ever made from best to worst. And this is Orion. This is Quincy. Quincy, the week is upon us. Halloween is here. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I we finally um got our lawn Halloweened out. Um but the problem is that we have a rock lawn because <laughs> we live in like southern california and like who 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 has lawns out here uh and it's so irresponsible I...
1: frankly and that's mm-hmm. not a joke it is irresponsible in the desert to
0: have grass listen grass lawns generally are a contemptible sign of bourgeois excess like you don't don't have a giant pa- like piece of grass that you have to water constantly. Like it's it's wasteful, it's ostentatious in a really uh, stupid way. Just get if you have a lawn, maybe don't. You know, just let it die. <laughs> <laughs> let the let the weeds take it. Uh, so Quincy, what uh, what? How's your week going? What what cool shit have you been uh, doing slash consuming on this uh, uh, this holy holy week?
1: I mean, because we're in full Halloween swing. I have been imbibing in a lot of Halloween treats. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh,
1: This year has been a pretty good year for Halloween junk food. Every year there's always new stuff. And every year I buy Halloween junk food and I'm disappointed. But this is one of the first years that there's several limited edition snacks that I've eaten. And I am sad that... I I guess I shouldn't be sad that I have to say goodbye. I should be glad for the times we had together.
0: Right, smile because it happened.
1: But the grocery chain Aldi had Halloween coffee roasts this year. What? They had an Ethiopian blend called Raven Roast, and it is Uh very good. (laughs)
0: I am, listen, the, I Halloween-themed things, I think that at a certain point you just decide that you're living the Halloween lifestyle. And it's year-round, motherfucker. Like, you would still be drinking Raven Roast in, like, March.
1: Yeah, exactly. They also have a um, Sleepy Hollow blend that's got, like, notes of apple in it. But, um oh, that's but, fantastic. But I'm, I'm an Ethiopian roast fan anyway. So Ethiopian origin coffees are are just very good for me.
0: I You're completely know. right. Like honestly, African coffees generally I love because they all like I love coffee that has like little eddies of oil on top of it that just makes it look like a driveway after the rain. Yeah, it's
1: it's beautiful and wonderful. Um, also, this year KitKat came out. So KitKat has really excelled in the KitKat but make it other flavor. Um, yeah i'm yeah. a huge fan of matcha kit kats which i can buy at my local local asian market mm-hmm. um and thankfully i can get those year round but this year they have apple pie kit kats Whoa. and i swear to god the the wafer in the middle has kind of a pie crust texture Ah, oh, geez this is wonderful.
0: <laughs> Honestly, like, matcha, I think it's that I've worked at so many different uh, coffee shops that when I, f- like, because I love matcha, but when you're hefting great sacks of matcha when you're working at, like, a, a coffee shop, you event like, you will get, like, it's like the great Muda just fucking spits in your face sometimes, because you open <laughs> the bag and it's just this huge plume of green smoke that comes out and blankets your teeth, like, it's, I've, I've learned to respect and fear matcha for what it can do to my face.
1: I love that the way people talk about matcha is also the way that people talk about cocaine in 80s action movies. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, there's always a chance of uh, somebody getting a face full of it. We, I just watched um, Tango and Cash, which by the way, for our Patreon, we should totally do Tango and Cash
1: uh Um, absolutely um we also need to do what i just watched which is over the top speaking of we just need to do a stallone
0: cast. (laughs) yeah honestly (laughs) like
1: my mom will shoot we'll do cobra we'll do tango and cash
0: cobra is one i think i would be most excited about because like this was during the period where like so you know cocaine is part of it where like sylvester stallone uh, was like, he's like, I'm the god king of Hollywood. I can make whatever movie I want to make. And he had like, no one would tell him no. My favorite thing about Cobra too, is that uh, it's uh, the movie was based on a book that Sylvester Stallone tried to convince the author of it. Like, can you tell, can we just change the authorship on the book so that it looks like I wrote it? And the novelist was like... No, we will not tell people that you wrote my book, Sylvester Stallone. You fucking psychopath. So I love that
1: Cobra was a Canon Films uh, film. Mm -hmm. Uh, Canon Films of of um, eighties excess (laughs) infamy. uh, Breaking Two, Electric Boogaloo, (laughs) Masters of the Universe.
0: I mean, Uh, although like Tango and Cash, I specifically uh, I get really excited anytime Jack Palance is playing a villain. Absolutely. Just Jack Palance right.
1: might be the best Dracula. I know that's a um, controversial <laughs> sure opinion, but he's a very good Dracula.
0: I don't know if that's controversial. I think that's just canon. Like, that guy... It's not so much that he eats the scenery as that he never took the scenery out of his mouth in the first place, and it's just dangling <laughs> like a pork chop. Um. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, uh, the, the cocaine in Tango and Cash, it's almost like it's like ambient and just sort of blankets everything. Speaking of cocaine blanketing everything (laughs) I guess maybe not cocaine blanketing everything but like mid- it's mid-2000s. What's blanketing everything? For Loco? For it's What
1: the fuck is the like I I I can't put my fi- We're talking about Rob Zombie's Halloween movies. I can't put my finger on what it is that makes Rob's Zo- It's like bong water and white guy <laughs> dreadlocks and and patchouli.
0: There's patchouli, patchouli in the mix, I feel. Yeah.
1: A floppy
0: yeah. 70s hat made out of denim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. God, he honestly um I feel like what happened now and I say this as somebody who um Tell the truth and shame the devil. I, uh, at the end of 2019, Spotify, uh, was like, Hey, here are the artists you listen to the most. And I, it, it definitely told me you are in the top 1% of Rob Zombie fans on, <laughs> on Spotify. And I, listen, I, I enjoy slamming in the back of my Dragula, and I don't <laughs> mind having Um, but like, I, his movies, I feel like the, uh, what you what you want to do with Rob Zombie is you want to cup his face while he's, like, writing a script and whisper, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> like, why would you I, I make think, the choices you make? I
1: think Rob Zombie is a perfect example of why a filmmaker, it's kind of like the anti-auteur theory. It, we, we like to talk about torture geniuses and studio executives, like, you know reining them in and keeping them from having their their masterpiece made. Mm -hmm. But Rob Zombie is an example of where the studio just backed a dump truck filled with money in his house and said, (laughs) Do whatever you want, when what he really needed were producers that said, No, Robert, we're not doing that.
0: Yeah, exactly right. It you know and 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 so Halloween was uh, made in 2007, which um, this is uh, two years after The Devil's Rejects. And I feel like because...
1: again, just permission to print money. They're like, you can do whatever the fuck you want, Robert. You can fucking have Taylor, Scout, Compton finger a bagel. You can hire a pro wrestler to be the shape. You can fucking um, put a million Ben Cooper masks in this put your own music in this movie, we don't care, just go for it.
0: It's Yeah, it's just the Weinstein brothers delivering like a briefcase full of Count Chocula and Garbage pale Kids stickers to Rob Zombie's house, and he's like, sure, I'll, I'll remake Halloween. Uh, this movie, um, we should say right out of the gate, uh, obviously Halloween 1978, this movie, um, Rob Zombie got uh, John Carpenter's sort of blessing for it. They had sort of a weird relationship because... Um, Carpenter didn't really like the first Halloween movie and they there was kind of a he said she said thing in the press where both of them were like I don't like them very much um, but they've both confirmed that they're cool now but I almost wonder if it's just that John Carpenter is too stoned and too busy playing video games to like beef with anyone I mean if you're John Carpenter who cares anymore yeah who gives a shit you made the thing my you guy won. like <laughs> yeah, you you got out of the game, you know, like you made Ghosts of Mars for some reason and then you were, you know. Uh and so Halloween uh 2007, we what's incredible about this movie is I always uh, think about the fact that it starts with the song God of Thunder by Kiss, which has a really cool riff where it's like ba 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 and you're just like, "All right." And then the voice of Gene Simmons uh drops in from the ceiling and goes rah, rah, and it's just like the, I, it's the worst thing in the world because it's like, I was having a nice time vibing to the riff and then Barney Gumble from The Simpsons is just like screaming at you. We get the backstory of Michael Myers.
1: Now, I want to know if Rob Zombie is to blame for woobifying. Because I'm trying to honestly think if fandoms woobified before The Devil's Rejects. And surely and the case is yes, but I feel like this is a really good example of where, like, it really comes into play, where an established character is retconned to be, you know, a poor, misunderstood, precious cinnamon roll.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, that's exa- you're exactly right. Like, the thing is, you know, two years off of uh, The Devil's Rejects, which is kind of a funny movie because because I, I really like Devil's Rejects. Also, my favorite review of Devil's Rejects is from Roger Ebert, who was like, I really like this. I got nothing. I don't know either. I just really like this movie. <laughs> um, and it's I feel like that movie does this thing, right, where uh, Rob Zombie looks at the camera and... You know, because you've got William Forsyth, who plays the the shitbird bird um, stepped out at the top of uh, Halloween 2007, but you've got William Forsyth as a, an avenging sheriff who is like pursuing the the devil's reject and, you know, he ties them up and tortures them. And he's just a really he's a huge piece of shit. And you can kind of feel Rob Zombie looking at the camera and going like really makes you wonder who the real monsters are. And you're like, it's still the murdering rapists, Rob. Jesus. <laughs> like yeah william Forsythe fucking sucks but they they murder people um and the movie itself is like sort of solidly on their side in a way that yeah so we get michael myers as a a small bab and now his mom is a stripper played by uh his uh, rob zombie's wife uh, sherry moon zombie um and he's got a shitty stepdad and his sister's kind of a dick and i feel like the movie is trying to tell you like you know, it's it's his upbringing that resulted in him being a relentless killing machine.
1: Yeah, to, it's his upbringing that made him basically a mutant.
0: Yeah, and like you know, it, it, later on you get uh, Doctor Loomis played by Malcolm McDowell, who by the way is having a great time in these movies. I'm sorry. Yeah,
1: he's he's a real treat in these movies. Malcolm yeah. McDowell and. Uh, Taylor Scout Compton are the real winners in this series.
0: Yeah, and now actually, and I'll just put this out there sort of from jump, Um, I I feel like all of the performances in Halloween and Halloween 2 are fucking great. Like, he... I think Rob Zombie is good at finding actors who are excited to be doing this kind of movie. Yes, and and I think
1: that's also... It...
0: (sighs) it can be very
1: easily written off as cheap fan service because he lo- zombie loves to cast cult actors past their prime in big mm-hmm. parts this is a absolutely thing that you know all of his movies are littered with i mean the fact that uh the devil's rejects themselves are sid haig and bill mosley just just, Hey guys, remember, remember these actors or, or, you know, look, I'm cool. Cause I'm going to play an old clip of this show. And, you mm-hmm. know, I'm awesome because I remember the groovy ghoulies or whatever <laughs> the obscure reference of the, of the day is. So I wonder if part of that though, is he is hiring people that are so deeply entrenched in the genre I was wondering how Scout Taylor Condon had been doing, because Mm -hmm. I don't recall if um, Halloween introduced her, but it was definitely one of her first major roles. She is continuing to do straight-to-VOD horror movies, which I'm kind of
0: into in a weird sort of way. Like, of course she should keep doing those, because she's good at them. I mean, we watch a lot of straight-to-VOD horror movies. There's nothing wrong with that, you know? Yeah,
1: it's like seeing an old friend. It's like, hey!
0: Yeah, but I think you're onto something here, which for me is that... So, Scout Taylor Compton, who plays uh, Laurie Strode in the second half of Halloween 2007 and throughout Halloween 2, there's a Hitchcock thing about how Jimmy Stewart, he takes you to the pain with his physicality and his face and the way he does stuff. And uh, I feel like Joss Whedon did the same thing with uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar, where he realized how how effectively heartbreaking it is when Sarah Michelle Geller is crying on screen. Uh, I think Rob Zombie must have realized that about Scout Taylor Compton because like her performance in these movies, honestly, she, she should be a fucking superstar off the back of these two movies. Yes, she should. She should get um, a lot of...
1: Bloomhouse should really hire her for a lot more than um, she's currently doing.
0: Oh, yeah. Now, absolutely. The other thing about these movies I've realized, I don't think shampoo and conditioner exists in the extended Rob Zombieverse. Um, (laughs) Everybody's hair just looks like shit. I don't know if that's like a, a deliberate aesthetic choice or if it's just... Maybe they spent their whole budget on like mallow pumpkins or something. But so at the top of uh, Halloween 2007, uh, we get sort of um, now. And in fairness to our summation of the plot being, if your mom is a stripper, you're going to be a killing machine. um, Later on, uh, Malcolm McDowell's character, Dr. Loomis, who is like sort of a dark, you know, reprise of like Loomis from the original movies. Uh, he's doing a talk and he's like, it was the perfect storm of internal and external elements that turned Michael Myers into a killer. Uh, and you do see Babby Michael Myers played by, uh, it's honestly, this kid's vibe is so cool. His name is Dag Ferk, uh, D-A-E-G-F-A-E-R-C-H, which I Googled three times to make sure I was pronouncing right. Um. And he's just got this really cool, like, weird, dreamy, kind of menacing vibe. He's really, really good as young Michael Myers. But basically, you get his backstory of just, like, his dad is... His stepdad is William Forsythe, and his mom strips. So, you know, you can... as you Like, you can imagine, he kills everyone. And so he kills uh, his uh, sister and her sister's boyfriend and William Forsythe as a
1: kid. Which is very much the um original series but but i have to wonder how much of this movie solely relies on being a retelling of a at this point like oh 20 or 30 year franchise
0: mm-hmm.
1: 78 I, to yeah. 2007 is
0: yeah that's a yeah like that's a number series. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is a movie podcast, not a math podcast. Um, yeah, yeah, like it's. I honestly, this is my question to you: if you if this were not called Halloween and it was just like Rob Zombie's Hell Billy Deluxe or whatever, would you? How would you have had the same experience of this if you weren't side by siding it with the original?
1: Oh, absolutely not. And what I'm saying is, it is inseparable from the 30 year legacy. Of this film, which I worry hurts it more than helps it. But Mm -hmm. I'm also thinking that it's the only reason to watch it. So it really does (laughs) give it a leg up too, because why the fuck should you care if it's not to woobify your favorite precious serial killer? Absolutely.
0: I mean, that's kind of, I mean, and this is, I think at the time, even when, because I, obviously, like, I, and I think we had the same, Jesus Christ, I think we had the same conversation about this back in, like, late 2007. Uh, but I think for me, the the problem is that, like, Michael Myers is not interesting because of anything about him as a person. No, like, he's not. A, he's not a person. That's the thing. Which is so
1: interesting, because I just watched Season of the Witch recently, And I loved the idea that in the 80s, Carpenter said, well, we killed Michael Myers in the second one, so now it's time to move on to the next idea. And Mm -hmm. fans got so pissed that it's like, okay, fine, he's supernatural. Are you happy? (laughs) So I really find it interesting that, um, on one hand, yes, he's supposed to be mortal and in the in i would argue the original halloween 2 that's more so whereas the first mm-hmm. halloween he's the shape he is not a person he is just a force of evil you know the boogeyman yeah. all that it's like yeah. really fucking creepy so like no one is watching carpenter's halloween and thinking boy what a really fascinating character Lori is the protagonist and michael myers the shape is the literal plot device antagonist (laughs) of the movie it is not insignificant that in order to shoot the pov in the beginning of the 78 feature they just took a mask and stuck it on the camera lens he is an abstraction he is not a person yeah exactly so then to insist that he becomes not only a person, but the protagonist of this movie series. And I would argue that we spend the first two thirds of the movie on Michael's childhood, that <laughs> he is the fucking protagonist. Um, and, and especially because in the second one, we realize, Oh, um, he's related to Laurie. So then, you know, it is about this family narrative. That it kind of is trying to make the story about the wrong character, perhaps.
0: I think you're completely right. I, well, and and it's also because like the now, and there is something kind of amazing to me about um, Doctor Loomis in the original. You know, when you're like a licensed uh, child psychologist or whatever, and you're like. This child is completely empty and the devil. <laughs> like, he's yeah. just like, and
1: I'm going to shoot him with this very large gun in my trench coat. Uh,
0: this, this, uh, my patient is coming to your town to kill everyone and he's got the devil's eyes and you're all doomed. Also, I'm a therapist. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like, that to me, I, it's kind of like, so the last shot of, and I, you know, I know that we're talking about the original Halloween a lot, but that's because it's a per, uh, perfect, perfect movie. Uh, but the end shot of Halloween 78, where, um, you know, he, Loomis shoots Michael Myers, he falls off the balcony and then they look and he's gone. And then they do the, the cuts to like, here's the lawn, here's the driveway, here's your couch, here's suburbia. Um, and it's like, he's a metaphor. Like he's the danger in the suburbs. He's... Yeah. Um, The fact that moving to the suburbs won't save you and he's everywhere. And it's kind of like how um, Call of Cthulhu, or like the the Lovecraft mythos, when you make a video game out of it, it's difficult to translate into a visual medium because you kind of can't take a nameless evil that'll drive you crazy and give it pixels and hit points.
1: Yes, it really kind of loses the point of it.
0: Yeah, and so to have Michael Myers... Now, we... So, Michael Myers kills his family uh, as, a, as a baby and then goes to a, um, a mental, uh, like the psych ward for children, I guess. Um, and they lock him away and he sort of becomes despondent. He is verbal uh, during the start of the movie and then slowly becomes nonverbal um, while he's in this hospital. And, and
1: it's very much in the same. So, I watched The Joker recently with oh, no. Joaquin Phoenix. And it's the same thing. It's like, let's watch two hours of a awful fucking person, murderer, Mm -hmm. and go, but he has a bad life, and women won't have sex with him, and, like, he's got a tough job. And I'm like, yeah, but so do I, and I don't murder people. And what concerns me is I believe the key demographic is that sort of? But don't you wish you could? It reminds me of Stephen King's essay on why we watch horror movies, mm-hmm. where his answer is because we all have like rage inside of us and like we want to let the swamp of alligators out and right, like the release valve or whatever. It it has always disappointed me
0: mm-hmm.
1: because. Although I deeply understand that, um, that is such a... It's it's so reductive to what horror can do and what horror does. And, like, there definitely was a significant portion of my life where I reveled in the popular kids being murdered. Because, boo-hoo, I wasn't invited to the homecoming dance. (laughs) But... It's like it's it's made full circle and now it's just this fascinating... I, it's just this... There's so much more interesting stuff being said with horror than just popular kids die. It also yeah. reminds me of the... Meme of the keep politics out of horror starter pack, which is just a DVD of Halloween 2007 and a normal people
0: scare me (laughs) t-shirt.
1: Oh, and a chain wallet.
0: (laughs) Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, you're completely right. Like it's uh, treating horror as like an escape valve for your worst impulses. Like that's horror is so beautiful. And like, to me, it's completely insane. If you can watch a movie like scream, And identify with Billy Loomis and not Sidney Prescott, like I don't know. And and of course, like there are so many different reasons to watch horror, but I, I, the idea that horror is your mom, and it, it's almost, it's very Puritan to me that it, like horror doesn't need to serve a function or be utilitarian in a way that, like, oh, you know, it keeps people from going out and killing other people because it gives them a release for that, like. See a fucking therapist. Like, if the only thing keeping you from murdering people is horror movies, that's more about you and less about Halloween, you know? It's such happy bunny
1: Emily the Strange pablum (laughs) that it drives me fucking crazy.
0: Well, and and you're totally—and the thing is, Sleepaway Cap is an an interesting example. Um, There's a thing about Rob Zombie movies that I hadn't picked up on until the most recent watch— they are excruciatingly heterosexual yes. uh, in in the way that like, I mean, of course we're dropping like homophobic slurs and shit because you know, if if it's a Rob Zombie movie and you've got like sort of the, the Rob Zombie, like hellbilly character that he writes all the time, which is fine. Like as a voice for a horror movie, like great. These, these are the kind of characters that you're interested in. Um, I think it's that the horror community is so much bigger than a movie like Halloween 2007 thinks it is. Like, there are queer horror fans, there are trans horror fans, there are people of color, there are disabled people who love horror. And I think a movie like Halloween 2007 makes it feel like horror fucking does not love you back. In a way that just, I don't know, like having... Now, and we we do need to go into the thing. Um, There is a rape scene in Halloween 2007 for no ass reason. Except Um, that... Well, and that's the other thing is Rob Zombie is
1: so in love with Forty Second Street and exploitation, mm-hmm.
0: yeah, like rape revenge films and you know yeah. the, the grind the grindhouse shit. But
1: the only reason why those existed, okay, and and this at at the risk of coming across as reductive, in mm-hmm. two thousand seven you don't need grindhouse rape because you can download pornography.
0: Right. Like, this was, uh, even if you wanted to, you know, suppose that back in, like, 1973 or whatever on, like, 42nd Street, people didn't have a release valve for whatever. So, porno theaters, everybody was apparently Travis Bickle in the 1970s. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, you're right. In 2007, what the fuck? Like, who wanted that?
1: Um, and My and favorite... It's- so, my favorite uh, scene from a movie that deals with those porno theaters is... The porno in um, where American Werewolf in London, where oh, yeah. literally the part you see is a guy stopping to have sex to answer the phone and it's a wrong number and it's a very <laughs> unsexy. Well, well, no, who are you? Well, I, I think you got the wrong. You hang up first. Well, no, do <laughs> oh, you hang up first. Well, the why the um, the guitar seventies guitar score goes on. Oh uh, yeah.
0: It's, it's perfect. Honestly, like, that's what it is, is like, Rob Zombie, he's obsessed with the 1970s, but I think that he's almost too close to it as a fan to think, to have thought about it critically for a movie like Halloween 2007. Yeah. I do think Rob Zombie has made good movies, and we'll get into that in a bit, um, but I think by this point, he had made House of Thousand Corpses, which is basically, hey, guys, you remember Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2? Here's that, but worse. Um... Where he's like trying to approximate that kind of a thing, and then Devil's Rejects, I think, is a better movie. But I think my you're in talking about horror fandom. Rob Zombie, during this period, and and arguably in a lot of ways in other movies, is basically a Camp Crystal Lake hat that makes movies.
1: Yes, like
0: he's he's so uh, he's so much a fan of the genre that maybe the whole thing he has to say in a movie like halloween 2007 is i really like halloween 1978
1: i think what's Um, enraging is we have such smart movies now i will concede that um cabin in the woods and tucker and dale versus evil mm -hmm. are not the pinnacle of the genre we've kind of talked about uh, the potentials and other things But those movies have so much more to say. I mean, Final Girls or Stage Fright the Musical or, you know, the first season of um, Scream Queens by Ryan Murphy, for God's sake. Oh, Jesus. More to say about the genre than Rob Zombie in Halloween 2007.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what it is. It's like, I always think of this one scene in. the uh, House of a Thousand Corpses, where um, Otis and the grandpa are just sitting around watching the monsters, and it's the episode with the car called Dragula, for fuck's sake. Like, so much so much of his movies at this point are just, like, uh, an Ouroboros that's not able to fucking look at other things. Oh, um yeah.
1: And, 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 I mean, Three from Hell, like, having... Oh baby wearing a fucking war bonnet in a 2018 2019 movie and not seeing that as something that shouldn't be on the blu-ray cover or it just just shows the like not only just out of touch but just does not give a shit just the the onanism that is a rob zombie movie (laughs) The question yeah. of who are these movies for, they are for Robert himself and only himself.
0: Poor Robert Zombert. I mean, that's my thing is like, and I say this as somebody who watches Rob Zombie movies like rel- like every couple of months, I'm like, you know, pop on like Lord of, Lords of Salem or Halloween 2 or something or like Devil's Rejects. But I think for me, it's so uh, going back to what we were talking about with like finding old horror stars of like the 70s and 80s and putting them back in a movie um, like Rob Zombie just has the, an action figure of them, and he's like bashing them against, like you know, hey, great, I've got the cop from Dawn of the Dead interacting with the uh, with Chop Top from whatever. Um, we so when uh, Michael Myers gets out of um, brain jail, and he you know needs new clothes, and he goes to a public bathroom, and then we get the scene where Ken Foray, who's a great fucking actor, he was um, the protagonist of Dawn of the Dead um this 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 scene to me is like a little encapsulation of rob zombie movies where you've got this guy uh taking a shit and he's just he's uh, a huge dude and he's just in there like monologuing to himself and then so michael meyer starts banging on the door and he's delivering like rob zombie dialogue where he's like let me pass this beast, beast in peace. And he's just, and it's like dialogue that no one would ever actually use, which is like fine because the movie doesn't need to be hyper-realistic. But the thing I keep thinking about is Ken Foray saying, I'm Joe Grizzly, bitch. And then, <laughs> getting, in a fight, and then getting into a fight in, a, in a, a public bathroom stall with Michael Myers who stabs the shit out of him. And it's like, great, Rob. Thank you for putting this in a motion picture. Oh, it's rough. So we fast forward to the present day. Uh, and we get Laurie Strode, who we find out, uh, it, it, what, it, what, it's doing, what it's doing is going with the Halloween 2 thing that, uh, from the original Halloween 2, where like, oh, Laurie Strode is Michael Meyer's sister. Um, and Laurie Strode is like, growing up in a family, we need, Quincy, we gotta talk about the bagel.
1: <laughs> we, I'm so sorry. Okay, so... Do we have any info on if this was in the script? is this direction? is this an <laughs> acting choice? Why does it happen?
0: It's so all right, so we get uh, scout
1: two thousand seven girls
0: are just wanna have fun, like what is it? Well, I'll tell you you know what I think it is for me. um, Rob Zombie should not be writing dialogue for teenage girls just full, full fucking stop it's like uh if a dad wrote dialogue for teenage girls in a commercial for cell phones yeah like it's just it it is it is a travesty but we get the scene where uh scout taylor compton is you know laurie strode is at, at breakfast with her mom and dad who are her adoptive mom and dad and she just is like hey mom i'm a sexual being Fucking happens, and then she just starts finger fucking a bagel and like hooting and hollering, <laughs> just just really? having a good old time.
1: Also, the Frank Zappa themed record store that she works for, which it's very quaint cool oh, yeah. that even in two thousand seven, it was a fantasy that there would
0: be a record store <laughs> with a Frank Zappa themed Yeah, Uncle Meat. Yeah, I, which is also my favorite thing is that like I. It's like in uh, Texas Chainsaw 2, where like, oh, man, can you imagine working the graveyard shift at a local radio station and you're just like spinning the tunes another time in another place? Um, But so (sighs) Rob Zombie attempts to write zingy teen girl dialogue. Uh, One of um, Laurie's friends, Annie, is played by Danielle Harrison, who played uh, Jamie, Michael Myers, niece from Halloween four and five. Um, and she, I don't know, which is also incredible to me because she was a college student in urban legends in like 98 or whatever. Age means
1: nothing in Hollywood, (laughs) especially. And yet it means everything as well. This is why, gosh, happy Halloween, everyone. We're going hard. I am just like (laughs) unleashing all of my angry fury
0: tonight. Listen, you had to argue about Sleepaway Camp on Instagram. You're tired. <laughs> like, it's, that was it's a month ho- ago, too, which is the sad thing. I'm just not over it. Oh, it's a hostile internet out there. I Yeah, and well, so we, Rob Zombie attempts to do zingy teen girl dialogue, and it's mostly all of them being like, hey, you want to fuck that guy? You should fuck that guy. I'm going to fuck that guy. And it's like, Rob, I, it's just so much.
1: Oh boy. Um, it's it is something else.
0: Yeah, and so we now here's the thing though. Brad Duriff, uh, is plays Annie's father, uh, Sheriff Bracket. Um, I've w- watched the bloopers for the Rob Zombie Halloween movies a lot. I will never love anyone more than Malcolm McDowell and Brad Dourif love each other. Like on the bloopers, it's just the two of them clowning relentlessly. Anytime the camera is like just rolling. Um, and Brad Durif has a handlebar, must- handlebar mustache in this, which I, I thank God for every day because it rules. Um, and like Brad Durif and Malcolm McDowell are also, that's the thing is it's just so many fucking genre stars that it's impossible to just watch the movie and watch characters doing stuff because you're thinking of everybody else's connection with horror.
1: It's very postmodern in that it's not about the narrative itself. It's the meta narrative of robert sitting in the seat next to you it it is the clip from an old movie equivalent of a movie it's like Mm -hmm. it's like in any rob zombie song where it's just like clip from some old obscure movie down tune guitars that (laughs) but as a movie yeah. And what and, I kind of feel bad about is we, the horror community, let yeah. this happen. <laughs> because we. Yeah. Because especially in 2007, it felt like this was the cutting edge of horror and this was the new thing. And, right. and now it's just thank goodness that so much better stuff has come out since since this movie has
0: come Yeah. Well, well, and for me, yeah, I think you're totally right. And for me, like Halloween 2007 is so much in conversation for, for me because I know that Rob Zombie is a huge like international like horror goon. It's like if it's like a teeny bopper uh new French extremity film in a lot of ways because it's got the pop, it's got the pop sensibility of Rob Zombie going, hey, remember the groovy ghoulies? But also I will now the thing I do have to hand to this movie the third act does have some pretty effectively brutal horror scenes.
1: Yes. It, it is. It's almost like fuck. we have to deal with all of the. Well, it's when the script writing ends and the directing begins. Zombie yeah. is good at directing action.
0: Completely, yeah. Like, the scene where Annie is getting, like... Uh, so, Annie lives through the first film. Um, and, like, the scene where Michael Myers is, like, trying to kill her, like, it. so much of the horror of this, I was genuinely, like, heart in my throat watching this in the middle of the afternoon. I think once Rob Zombie gets out of his own way, right, and he's not, you know, trying to approximate human dialogue, I think, in, in this movie at least, um, I think... now. We're going to get into Halloween 2009 uh, in a, in, a, in a second here, but I think the dialogue in this movie doesn't work pretty much ever. But the action, when it's happening, like it, it's pretty unfuckwithable to me on yeah. on a filmmaking level.
1: Oh yeah, and and that's why I now I know you and I disagree with this, but that's yeah. why I would say 2007 is better than Halloween two 2009. Oh wow we lose the action in the second and it becomes psychological thriller. Let's try to get deeper into Laurie and Michael's heads and figure Mm -hmm. out their brains. And here's the hallucinations of the
0: white horse and, and oh, we'll get into that fucking, we'll get into that fucking horse.
1: Um. Do you want to throw (laughs) the first one on the list and then we'll kind of go from there or do you want to talk about both of them and then rank them?
0: Yeah, let's fucking lawn dart it into the into the fucking ground. We all right. So looking at the list, uh, mm, all right. So, uh, in if we're starting with movies that are too much in conversation with nothing, uh, and I hate to say this because I, I love this movie very much, but at number two hundred eight we have Freddy's Dead: The Final Nightmare, which is kind of not even really a movie so much. Like it's not a movie with a beginning, middle and end. That's meant to evoke human emotion. It's like meant to end this fucking franchise at this point, And it's Rachel Talalay swinging for the fences and doing that as big as she can, but it objectively doesn't really work in a lot of ways.
1: I like um, that because right above that is happy death day, which oh, I think yeah. has like really given a, a shot of iron into the genre in the past couple of years.
0: Man, you're right. I really love Happy Death Day. And also happy death day to you. Like they they yeah, it's like it the exact thing that horror needed at that exact moment in time. Um, so,
1: here's what's wild. If we mm-hmm. put it at 208, we have shot past Devil's rejects at 231.
0: Now, and this is my thing though is 230 ah, hmm. Okay. All right, that's a good point. The thing is that The Devil's Rejects, I do think it's better than Halloween 2007. See, I think um, it's
1: neck and neck. Um, mm-hmm. Now, a, th- a more comparable comparison is the fan service of Freddy versus Jason at 223 and oh, yeah. the unapologetic fan service that is Halloween 2007. You I'm know trying what? to figure out which is more like if if we're calling fan service a sin, mm-hmm. giving the fans what and they like an, want,
0: and, and and like calling it like an excess and like something that is not an a valid end in itself.
1: Yeah. So so which was a worse sin, Freddy versus Jason or Halloween 2007? I mean, we got a sequel to Halloween 2007. It was popular mm-hmm. enough that it merited one more go. Um, now I'm kind of wishing Rob Zombie did a Halloween 3, <laughs> just because what the shit would that even look like?
0: It was greenlit. There was going to be a Halloween 3D, and then Rob Zombie was like, no, I'm not doing this. so. <laughs> th- thank you to Rob Zombie for, for uh, eschewing this. The Although
1: scenes are like, listen, we'll give you the secret formula to Yummy Mummy if you'll
0: just do this one thing for us. (laughs) Go to the cinema and get slapped in the face with a chain wallet in 3D. Yeah, (laughs) it's... Now, and so Freddy vs. Jason, like, I honestly, here's what I would do. I think Freddy vs. Jason, uh, more effectively... What it is is that Freddy vs. Jason and Halloween 2007 are both movies that are trying to get the chocolate and the peanut butter, where yes. you're trying to take two things, which is like the movie Rob Zombie wants to make and the movie John Carpenter wants made, and you're trying to make Freddy's mythology work with Jason's mythology in the same movie and tell a coherent story. You know what it is? Fuck all of this highfalutin shit. Quincy, do you know what Freddy versus Jason has that Halloween 2007 doesn't? Uh. Somebody stabbing Jason with the American flag <laughs> <laughs> on <the> screen. I... <laughs> uh, so if you don't have that, I'm sorry. Like, listen, I'm not saying Freddy versus Jason is the greatest movie of all time for this reason, but <laughs> but it does
1: have Jason being stabbed <laughs> with the American flag.
0: Oh fuck! It no, it's yeah.
1: Freddy being a um, Allison Wonderland caterpillar
0: smoking a hookah too. Yeah, which by the way, side note to the side note here, I fucking hate like when movies are like, all right, what do we know about stoner culture? Uh, w- <laughs> and have Alice in Wonderland? Like, if only... Like, this was a
1: ubiquitous thing and we could just ask someone.
0: <laughs> yeah, <Anyway>. like, <laughs> like... This isn't even stoner culture anymore, guys. Like, Stop playing Iron Butterfly or whatever. Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, but yeah. So I feel like I want to give the edge to Freddy vs. Jason over Halloween 2007, but right underneath Freddy vs. Jason at number 224... Is the ni- nineteen ninety nine remake of House on Haunted Hill, which is, as you know, completely bug It's
1: it's it's got Jeffrey Rush's um, career defining performance as Vincent Price, but not actually Vincent Price, the <laughs> oldie version of Vincent Price,
0: um, Vincent so- Half Price, <laughs> <laughs> fucking. I swear to God. So yeah, so I feel like uh, purely for that, I want to put Halloween 2007 uh, above House on Haunted Hill, but below Freddy versus Jason at, at number 224. What do you think? Yes, I think that's a good fit. Now, let's talk about Halloween 2. So, all right, so Halloween As... 2, yeah, from 2009. So Rob Zombie made this bad, this bad, bad, bad movie. And, uh, apparently had like a nightmare experience making it because he had to work with the Weinsteins and just the, the process of making it was very shitty and bad. But, um, for 2009, he came back with the understanding that he would get to make the kind of movie he wanted to make. And so this movie, uh, I'm just gonna like sort of at the top of this spoiler. I love this movie very, very much. Um, I think it is deeply fucking flawed in so many ways. But I think purely now, there's a Venn diagram for me in my brain between the movie Possession and the performances in Possession and Scout Taylor Compton's performance as Laurie Strode in Halloween 2. What it is is that it's so much of it is a conversation about PTSD and about, um, you know, what does the final girl do after the events of the first movie? Um, and, it, you know, it follows Laurie Strode while she's, like, trying to piece her life together and get it back. Now, and apparently, and this is a thing, uh, the, th- the theatrical cut of this movie was way nicer and way sort of rosier about Lori, Like, oh, no, she's trying, you know, she was doing pretty good, but then she just slowly, but then she just, like, slid into psychosis at the end, and what are you going to do? Um, The director's cut, which is apparently the only cut you can pretty much find on Blu-ray unless you get, specifically, a Canadian double-feature DVD with Halloween 2007 that has the theatrical cut, you can kind of only get the director's cut on Blu-ray.
1: Which is so interesting because, um, so as a literary scholar, you know, there's always a debate with, so Frankenstein by Mary Shelley is one of my favorite texts, Mm -hmm. and one of the things that often... um, people talk about in literary scholarship is do you go with the 1818 or 1837 edition because they're radically different and it really Mm -hmm. depends on how much you like Percy Shelley because (laughs) (laughs) Percy stands uh, like the, the 1818 version because it is assumed that he heavily edited and meddled with the manuscript that percy was like no 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 baby let me get this and um you know we look at the 37 edition where percy had been dead for a long time and and many people would argue it's mary going god damn it i'm fixing my book from that meddling uh overbearing um dandy
0: yeah which, by the way, Percy Bish Shelley stands. If you're out there on Twitter, I am begging you to hit us up because I am fascinated by you. <laughs> if you're just like ride or die for Percy Shelley, like that's such an incredible fandom to be in. Is the Percy Shelley fandom? It's um, like there's
1: there's actually in literary scholarship uh, and literary study there were um, Ted Hughes fans, like people took oh. Ted Hughes' oh. side over Sylvia Plath's.
0: Oh, the antagonist of of Sylvia Plath's life. People can't stand up, <laughs> dude. Like the villain of Sylvia Plath, the movie. Yeah.
1: The... Ah, wow. Wow. The Lex Luthor to Sylvia Plath? <laughs> <laughs> the, fr-
0: the 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 F Scott Fitzgerald to Zelda Fitzgerald, like yeah. just the worst person for yeah. Um, now, and that's the thing is like the the director's cut is much 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 better than the theatrical cut um and i think we can sort of debate i know um there's a youtuber i really love called h bomber guy who has a whole thing about like director's cuts and kind of the utility of them and like does that subvert the point of a movie that you know isn't entirely controlled by one person um Now, what's incredible about this movie is that it sort of revolves around this movie does one of the most ridiculous, absurd, stupid things I've ever had the joy of seeing in a film, which is that right from Jump Street, uh, after the, the Dimension Films logo, we get in a courier font... It says, "L Cap's white horse linked to instinct, purity, and the drive of the physical body to release powerful and emotional force like rage with ensuing chaos and destruction, excerpt from the subconscious psychosis of dreams. Robert Zomber puts the metaphor of the thing, just fucking puts it on screen in Courier font to say, I've, re- I've read a book. And I'm going to do some higher art shit with this motion picture.
1: I love um, how, in the. Um, it, it reminds me of the epigraph of the John Barth book where he says the last thing you want to do is start your book with a reference to a better book. And that's kind of <laughs> what Rob, Rob Zombie's doing. He's like, hey, here's real <laughs> interesting shit. <laughs> Um, and now here's my movie Halloween Two.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's now, and and the thing is, and and as I said before, like I there's so I've seen this movie so many times, and I love it so much. Um, but I will say, it I absolutely with my life hate the pretentious garbage of Sherry Moon Zombie's character from the first movie who um, shot herself uh, while Michael was in the uh, psych ward. Um, she shows up in this movie in like dream states and hallucinations wearing all white and with long blonde hair and with what, leading a white horse. And it means nothing. It is nothing like it's it's 100 percent Rob Zombie trying to gussy the fucking place up. Um, It's nonsense. And I yeah. feel like. Uh, all of that could have been taken out of this movie with zero consequence to the plot because it's not about anything. Like, I'm interested in the relationship between Lori and her experiences, and between, to a lesser extent, Lori and Michael, although, as stated before, Michael Myers is not a fucking person. Like, he's not capable of catharsis, he's not capable of a deeper understanding or working through anything with anyone. He's a malevolent collection of murder impulses. Like Did you I don't ever
1: read the the Halloween comic book series. Oh, very bad. Yeah. So so it it reminds me of the Halloween issue of the Halloween comic book series from the two thousands, which is the it can't get more 2000 than also published by the evil Ernie Lady Death <laughs> publishers. <laughs> yeah uh, yeah. connoisseurs of big titty goth girl um (laughs) with sword comic books so i love that in that they also try to tell stories of michael myers in the the psych ward stabbing people with pencils and boiling people with french fry grease all this shit who could care and the ending of that comic has always stuck out with me because it's dr loomis shooting him multiple times and then him just slipping out a window again and Lou was going, damn it! <laughs> because he's bulletproof. He is not a human being. <laughs> he is a thing. Which is also why when we put um, the death of Michael Myers fan movie on here, it further cements he's not a human being. He's just a thing. And without his sister to torture he's Mm -hmm. nothing and he dies
0: yeah it's on yeah when when loomis shoots him and he slips out the window anyway i did it's like john Mulaney voice like with the horse like ah, that's what i thought you'd say you dumb fucking shape (laughs) like he just (laughs) evades murder at all times because he's not actually a person now so much of this movie like i i will say halloween 2 i think has my favorite depiction of a therapist in a horror movie um Therapists in horror movies, I feel like generally, it's always written by people who have never been to therapy. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah, always yeah. sort of just garbage. And, uh, you know, because it's a fucking Rob Zombie movie, we have to have, like, the Rob Zombie players. Uh, Marco Margot Kidder, uh, genre legend, uh, plays Laurie's therapist. And she's fucking incredible as a therapist. I've been in therapy since I was a kid. And this feels like a therapist I've had. Like she's genuinely trying to help Lori and she's kind of no bullshit. And she's, you know, so much of the process of Lori breaking down is like, she's lashing out at everybody uh, in this movie because of her PTSD and because of her like decaying mental state. She lashes out at her adoptive family with Sheriff Brackett and Annie. She lashes out at her therapist who's trying to help her. Um, And what happens is that, she is never allowed any kind of family because that was taken from her in the previous movie. And she can't go back to that. Um, and there's like so much of her performance in this movie is it like, I don't know what it is. Like there's some kind of magic with the way she makes her face sort of, uh, grimace and clench and scream as she's like communicating these emotions. Um, And, you know, Margot Kidder is incredible as the therapist, but ultimately she can't help her. The other thing I love about this movie is Malcolm McDowell as full-on piece-of-shit Hollywood huckster Dr. Loomis.
1: Yes, it's very good.
0: Oh, it's great. Like at this point, Loomis is like doing the full book tour and just being like, I'm a rock and roller, baby. I narrowly avoided being murdered by Michael Myers. And I've, I've, I am grinding a surfboard on a sea of blood toward filthy, filthy money. And <laughs> he is just like, Malcolm McDowell as a performer is so great because like he's captivating, but you don't trust him, I think, when you see him. This is not. Somebody who wants good things.
1: Oh, yeah. He exudes smarm.
0: Yeah. And what you basically get is, like, Malcolm McDowell sort of uh, compensating for the guilt he feels in the death that Michael Myers has caused. And, you know, he's very sort of defensive about it and very sort of like, ah, I'm just selling books. I don't know nothing about no murder. And by the end of it, he is finally, after Annie uh, gets murdered... And Brad, you know, it's Sheriff Brackett, you know, sort of just punches the shit out of him. And he's like, I want to kill you so bad. Brad DeRift's performance when he finds the body of his daughter is, I think, one of the finest on screen portrayals of grief I've seen. Yeah, it's like this good. is some, this is somebody who doesn't know how to communicate like coherent words and is just like making animal sounds of horror and denial and uh, it's so it's so good. Um this is probably not a good movie in a lot of ways. <laughs> um it's, it's, the plus it's the- interesting that it's a
1: movie that's saying, you know, Lori cannot go back. She has lost her family and it's the only thing she needs. But then to also say at the end of the movie, and her family is uh, Michael.
0: Yeah, is Michael and her imaginary ghost mom. And a horse. <laughs> the horse is your dad now. Yeah, <laughs>
1: really, <laughs> it is like, and here's a horse dad.
0: Yeah, completely. Now, what's so uh, what happens at the end of the thing is that um, they're all in a shack eventually, and um, Michael uh, is dead uh, because Laurie Lori kills him, and then Laurie goes out And grabs a knife and is advancing upon Dr. Loomis because her mind has been completely broken by everything that's happened. And she gets like, Jason goes to hell style, just like shot to death by cops. And what we get is now here's, here's what it is for me. And I think I'm, I'm, I'm going to guess that the entire reason maybe that I love this movie is Rob Zombie has a very specific talent and that talent is finding the right song to close out a movie with oh he put fucking free bird in a movie like that's the only context in which i've enjoyed the song Freebird is at the end of the devil's rejects um while the firefly family is like driving to their death in a giant shootout with the cops um halloween 2 ends with now in halloween 1 um you know how uh, michael myers mom being a stripper is the reason he kills people or whatever um There's a scene of her dancing to Love Hurts by Nazareth uh, at the uh, the strip club. This movie closes out with a soft, gorgeous, chill-inducing, perfect, perfect, perfect cover of Love Hurts by Nan Vernon. Um, And even though this perfect song for the end of this movie is over... Uh, it plays over a hallucination that Laurie has before dying of her sitting in a white room and then a white mom with a white horse comes whiting down the white hallway and she cracks a slow smile and then that's the movie and i mean it's a pretty good ending it's a good ending i don't i i like it i it's still fucking it gets it raises goosebumps on my arm every time i watch it um th- i think it's that this is such a it's it's a movie that's ambitious in ways that you don't really get to see in mainstream movies. Yeah.
1: Which also makes sense why they didn't do a third one.
0: Oh, for sure. I feel like this self-destructed anything Rob Zombie <laughs> could have possibly done after this with Halloween. And what's also interesting is, um, what year did Lords of Salem come
1: out? It was a really long time between oh, yeah. Years. This movie, um, *Lords of Salem*.
0: *Lords of Salem*. I want to say was like early to mid-ish 2010s. If only there was a way we could look it up. Well, we don't have the entire collection of human knowledge at our fingertips. First, of all. <laughs> um, yeah, I, it's he he. This movie, I think he made this movie and then went into like a super death of Superman style healing coma. Um, yeah.
1: Like... While while other Huckster Hollywood ghouls ran around. <laughs> we had we had multiple uh Robert Zombie esque. We had the blue Robert Zombie and the red Robert Zombie and <laughs> and the Vindicator Robert Zombie and yeah. and you know Robert Boy <laughs>
0: man i'm just thinking about vindicate oh my god the death of superman it's oh jesus speaking of things that are in conversation with itself and also nothing um hey, but uh, yeah. doomsday had kryptonite spikes in his knuckles that's pretty dope i feel like doomsday just looked like if a beard could grow arms like he was just if this a beard
1: could grow arms and was also made out of rock it's yeah. wild It's it's incredible. Um, It's like a of its time because you could see the DC editorial bullpen. We got to come up with the alien that can kill Superman. (laughs) What about this beard with rocks growing out of it?
0: Yeah. What if what if the the Tasmanian devil was made of rubber cement and hit the fucking gym and could kill Superman? Uh, oh, all right, all right. So looking at our list for Halloween 2009, and I'm and I wanna, um. Which, by the way, I love the like Cisco uh, and Ebert thing we do sometimes. Of like when we disagree on a movie, I do genuinely love, and I don't mean to schmaltz on main here. I love that when we disagree on a movie, I always feel like we know where each other are coming from on it, and it makes total sense.
1: Yeah, this is <laughs> this is a lot of fun, um. And and honestly, my grief. My grievance is with the conceit that we should give a fuck about (laughs) Michael Myers in any sense. And and I think, I feel that the ending of Halloween 2, Electric Boogaloo, is very much, Laurie's with her real family now. And it's further of, it's further... Furthering that thesis of, and they're better than her adoptive family, and everyone's happy. It's like no, yeah, that's not no the case.
0: It's not the case, and it's not even a Shirley Jackson style. The, it's technically a terrible ending uh, for anybody else, but for the characters in the thing, it's a nice ending. Like the the family thing in this, you're you're exactly right. Like the fact that it's trying to make me give a shit about Michael Myers, and we keep getting. Um, unfortunately, Deg Fair uh, was not, um, by the time they made this, it was like two years. And as you know, two years in pubescent time is like a decade. Um, and so when they, when they made Halloween two, um, the original kid that played Michael, uh, was not able to reprise his role because it would have been too, un, uh, like just too much time had passed and he'd gotten taller. Um, we get kind of a nice Disney channel looking kid as young Mikey, um, throughout this thing and it's we get these like scenes with him talking to his ghost mom but also full-grown Michael is right behind him and they're the same person and it's like I do not give two shits in a wicker basket about Michael Myers mom feelings yeah like it's it's stupid um and it doesn't and, work
1: and the whole it, it's yet again that well if only Michael Myers had had a couple more hugs you know, he'd be okay, and it's that very like, it's the same thing as like Loki. Loki has done war crimes, right. and yet people are talking about Tom Hiddleston being a precious angel baby. It's like, yeah, a, pr- a no. precious whoopee. Yeah,
0: no. no, you remember that? The war. Remember, remember that time where Michael Myers fucking like cut a guy's head off at the top of Halloween two with a piece of broken glass, like. <laughs> Oh my God! It's like it's, oh, his mommy. <laughs> oh, he's sad about his mom. Like I, yeah, I don't care, yeah. Robert. Yeah, fuck out of here. Like I'm, I'm right there with you. Where like the thing I, can, the thing that matters in this movie to me is like 100% Laurie Strode. Yes, and yes. Scout Taylor Compton's performance, and I feel like I just I wish that I could like airlift Scout Taylor Compton's performance in this and put it in a movie that deserves it. Yeah, I think. Is, is what I ultimately want. So, all right. So, goddamn, looking at our list, at number 94, and we're probably going to go down the list, but I'm, I figured I'd start high and work my way down, we have Final Destination. Ooh. <laughs> Which is, Final Destination is a Kevin Williamson, like, 90s derivative of, like, wh- you know, what, what if a Rube Goldberg machine could kill you over time? Um, and I feel like, Final Destination is a better movie probably because of the the what is it trying to do and how well does it accomplish that thing. I think it's a better movie than Halloween 2.
1: Okay, so at number 113 we have Blue Ruin which ooh, is ooh. such a better examination of the repercussions of violence and the yeah. cycles of violence. <sighs> and Tragedy Jesus. Girls is right underneath that, which is again that really smart look at the tropes of horror in a way that i care about way more than this movie
0: yeah and it's it's yeah blue ruin is about trauma and tragedy girls is about being in conversation with the genre itself both of which are the venn diagram of halloween too and i think you're totally right like blue ruin is a better examination it's almost like the last house on the left thing of like You know, we all have this, like, Rambo fantasy in our brains, I think, that we entertain sometimes about, like, oh, if someone killed my family, I'd sure do a murder about it, i tell you what. Or, like, you know, in the American subconscious, I feel like we have that fucking John Wayne fantasy.
1: Yeah, Um, and what's so interesting about Last House on the Left is it's just a retelling of The Virgin Spring. mm -hmm. And The Virgin Spring (laughs) is such a heartbreaking movie because it's about a father reconciling his rage with his faith and and not being able to live and realizing the hollowness of revenge. (laughs) And yet, Wes Craven is like, let's take this perfect film and then just, like, fuckify it.
0: Yeah, and remix it and add my fucking hellbilly shit with an unnecessary rape scene over it, because why the fuck not? Um, yeah, and I think, yeah, like, Blue Ruin is such a better examination. Now, the thing that I don't need in my Halloween movie is for an unmasked, beardy Michael Myers to stab somebody while saying the word, die. <laughs> fuck. Fuck out of here. The first word adult Michael Myers has spoken in Film And that's the word we're going with is just die while stabbing someone. Um, there is a thing, by the way, side note, that I, I wish had happened in Halloween 2007, um, which is the fact that Michael Myers, uh, as a as a as a babby, as a sweet, innocent babby that never did anything to hurt anyone. Um, Lori, when she's a baby uh, and he calls her boo. And apparently, in the original drafts, Michael Myers, when he like tracks down Lori and hunts her, and she's like, "Please, what do you want?" And then he leans down and whispers, "Boo." And I kind of love that as just Michael Myers. This was all an elaborate goof for him to murder your whole family. Just to lean down and whisper, "Blah," like, <laughs> "Boo." Um, but anyway, that's neither neither here nor there. So, yeah.
1: So, so don't torture a duckling. Is it number one thirty-two? Mm-hmm. Which is fulci simultaneously being a ghoul and also trying to say like justice isn't real and people (laughs) when left to their own devices are really fucked up and like who's Mm -hmm. the real monster um and i wonder if that's very much the same kind of kool-aid that zombie is drinking from in this that who are the real monsters here audience kind still of still the
0: monster it's yeah. the monster rob it's the monster rob <laughs> yeah and actually so yeah so i think don't torture a duckling is more effective at what it does than than halloween 2 but right underneath it is uh black mirror the episode shut up and dance which is basically like an unseen anonymous force is like making people do stuff because of the threat of blackmail and um that episode is like viscerally effective and tight in a way that Halloween 2 has so much bloat in it with the white horse bullshit. Yeah. Um, and I think Black Mirror is more effective at, like, communicating an idea, mm. making good on it, committing, and sticking the landing, where Halloween 2 needed, like, 30 minutes cut out of it. Yeah. It should have been a tight 90. Uh, and, yeah. So, yeah. So I, I feel pretty good about that. Do you? At number um, 133?
1: No, Ryan. Uh-huh. You must answer the age-old question: Is Halloween two better than Gremlins two? <laughs> yes, I Please will say that it it well-developed five-paragraph <laughs> essay.
0: I mean, Gremlins two is another example of like I don't know. What if Lady Gremlin with with weird Gremlin vagina? I don't know. Like it's it, it's in conversation it's made also. <laughs> vegetable gremlin oh, god, electricity breaking the fourth wall electricity gremlin yeah i oh my god i feel like yeah it is it is better than gremlins 2 the new batch for for me at least because it like gives me an emotion other than total delighted bafflement <laughs> With Gremlins 2, the new batch. Alright, so I feel good about that. So, coming in at our new number 134, above Gremlins 2, the new batch, and below <laughs> Black Mirror Season 3, Episode 3, Shut Up and Dance, is Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, 2009. God damn, this is the first time in a while where we've done two movies in an episode and given them, I think, the level of attention we want to. <laughs>
1: Well, it's, it's the most magical time of the year, so it's it's only fitting that we give
0: these films
1: the attention they deserve.
0: <laughs> it's a Halloween miracle. Um, oh, fuck. Quincy, where can our listeners find us on the internet?
1: We are on most of your social media platforms. We're on YouTube at RankinVileCast. We're on Instagram at Vile. We're on Twitter at Rainbow Ballcast. We have a TikTok. We have a TikTok. We have a Discord that's really fun. Um, yeah, we do. I think that it's linked uh, in our other platforms. Uh, mm-hmm. We're just about everywhere, so give us a follow.
0: Definitely. And then also keep an eye out for our Patreon, uh, where we are going to start pumping out uh, action movie reviews that don't fit on our regular uh, horror movie podcast. But let's be honest, we're always two seconds away from talking about Over the Top, Um, the movie where Sylvester Stallone is a truck driver who competes in arm wrestling (laughs) to win his son back. Man, it's like the custody of Dominic Ladder match in that entire movie. Like, it's so...
1: Sylvester Stallone drives an 18-wheeler through his father-in-law's house to, to like, hop out and grab (laughs) his son. And
0: we need to talk about that as well. His son who's who's like a five-year-old, five years old and in military school? Yeah. Oh, boy. It's just, it's a lot. Uh, But that is about all I've got. Have a good week, folks. Happy Halloween. Stay spooky.